This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. Uh, you know, it's, it's like a whitewater mecca, man. Everybody comes, makes their, their travel in the fall. Everybody I love, all in one place for six weeks out of the year. It doesn't get better. It doesn't. This episode comes to you from the Gauley River in West Virginia. After years of being asked if I had been to the Gauley or to Gauley Fest, I got tired of saying not yet and of wondering why people were so attached to this river. Last year, in September of 2022, I loaded up my truck with all the things a podcasting river runner might want for a river festival and a few days of river running, and I drove east. I ran the river. I flipped my boat and swam that river. I ran interviews. I ran a booth at the festival. And I learned that the Gali has a story. It is a river that has lots of water, beautiful valleys, mist, low clouds and big rain, thick forest, green from top to bottom, sunshine and warm water, and rapids that are steep and fast, full of big waves and sucking holes, huge rocks. And the Gali River is part of the Gali River National Recreation Area, which is administered by the National Park Service. This National Recreation Area was established in 1988 and encompasses 25 miles of the river to include the ever-popular whitewater runs and some adjacent lands. The Gali has a river festival every year in September hosted by American Whitewater, and the river has a dam, and it almost had a tunnel that would have pulled water out of the river and dried up some of the most cherished rapids, including Pillow Rock. That annual river festival is having its 40th anniversary this year in September of 2023, and the festival was started to celebrate the work done to keep that tunnel project away from the river, to keep the water in the river, and to celebrate the Gali season, which now is the annual fall release of water into the Gali River for six weeks. The Gali season has become an annual fall gathering for whitewater boaters, boaters who were born and raised in West Virginia, for boaters who travel and stay for the season, and for those who come in for a long weekend. This episode will explore the Gali in a few ways. We will hear from the people having fun at the festival and on the river. We will ride around in a golf cart with American Whitewater to learn about the festival, and we'll keep up with the folks organizing the Animal Upper Gali Race. And, most importantly, the person who led the fight 40 years ago to keep the water in the Gali River and who established the annual releases known as Gali Season tells us about the work done to protect the Gali River from being dewatered. David Brown was hired in 1983 to go to the Gali and do his work to protect this well-loved stretch of another iconic eastern river. David wrote a book about his work on the Okoe and the Gali. I read the book and wanted to hear the story and share it with you last year. A week after I went to the Gali River and the Gali Fest, I traveled south to Tennessee to have an interview with David Brown. David lives in the hills of eastern Tennessee. We sat on his porch on a breezy and beautiful day last September. Here is our conversation. Would you start off? Can you tell me can you tell me your name? David Brown. And David, would you tell me would you tell me about your relationship with rivers? I started paddling in the seventies. Um started canoe camping on the Savannah River, the last section of the Savannah River that was through the Piedmont in Georgia. Beautiful hardwood forest and really just uh, started my engagement with rivers there. It also happened to be a, a water project 
Corps of Engineers water project that I discovered was uh, being developed on that section of river, and that's kind of how I got interested in river conservation. How, how old were you when that was happening? I was in my uh, late 20s. And do you, do you still paddle today? Yes. Yeah, I saw the, I saw the kayak under the deck here. I haven't done whitewater in a couple of years, but I still do a lot of recreational kayaking. And I still would do uh, whitewater. I'm not quite up to the golly anymore, but <laughs> age 75. Yeah, and I think I heard you ran it one time at 15,000? Yeah, that's probably the highest. I think I've, I've even actually been on it a little high. A section of it was higher than that. But uh, we did the lower meadow at about 1,600 and went out into the golly. It was running about... 20-something thousand, and we took out about a mile downstream. So you wrote a book, this book right here. You wrote a book called The Whitewater Wars with the subtitle of The Rafters and the River Trip that Saved the Okoe and the Gauley River Battle. And I would say to listeners, I definitely recommend reading this. It's a sweet, perfect-sized book. I think it is, let's see, it looks like it's about 100 pages long, just over. Can you tell me in kind of a short summary what that book is about? It's about the two efforts back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s to save the Okoe and the Gali Rivers for whitewater recreation. And, uh, you know, the collection of, of outfitters and private boaters that built powerful coalitions to save those two rivers. Uh, interestingly, I say the rafters because the, the locals called us all rafters, mm. whether you kayaked or rafted. Mm-hmm. We were all the rafters, <laughs> and that's even the case today in some of these rural counties. You know, I, I, I want, I'm here to really learn about the Gali efforts and the Gali River and the Gali Fest because it's so prominent today and, and such a powerful, important component of many river runners' lives. But I think so. I go on about wanting to hear about the Gali, and we get sidetracked with other things. We come back to the conversation, and David is telling me when the first Gali festival happened, and then it started with a different name. And so I had actually moved to West Virginia in July of '83, had actually planned the first uh, Gali River Festival, which at that point was the West Virginia Whitewater Festival for '83. It was done at Burnwood Campground, which uh, now is a park service facility of some sort and that's the that's the t-shirt you're wearing today yeah yeah that's a 40 year old t-shirt yeah Yeah, you kept it in good shape (laughs) bring it out for the right occasions it doesn't fit anymore (laughs) (laughs) it looks all right to me (laughs) summersville reservoir and dam were built in the 1960s and sit about halfway down the length of the golly river it was built for the standard reasons dams are built flood control and hydroelectric power and now lake top recreation It is an Army Corps of Engineers project, and the dam is almost 400 feet tall. Because people lived in the river valleys, floods were periodically devastating. Today, the Gali has regular flows below the dam between a few hundred CFS and nearly 13,000 CFS. It is clear from reading about historic floods, looking at old film and pictures, and looking at the modern river gauge today up above Summersville Reservoir that this Gali River would host floods around 50,000 CFS and even greater. The Gali River has its various headwaters at about 4,000 foot elevation at Gali Mountain of West Virginia. The Gali flows into the Kanawha River, which then goes into the Ohio River, the Mississippi River, and meets the salt water at the Gulf of Mexico past New Orleans. So you're, you're beginning the work on the Gali. Can you give me the background on the Gali River, meaning that Summersville Dam is in place, and just explain what that means 
in terms of how water is released, how whitewater boating is available and not available on the Gali when you arrive. In the east, we don't have snowpack. And so we depend on reservoirs for reliable boating conditions in the summer, in late summer. We had to get water releases from these projects strictly for the benefit of recreation. The water that was released into the riverbed would not go through the turbines that were either being proposed or rebuilt for those projects. And so there would be power losses. And the Gali was a little different in that the Corps was planning a project. The dam, Summersville Dam, was primarily authorized for flood control, uh, low-flow augmentation, and lake recreation, but not for downstream recreation. So the Corps said, well, we can't provide reliable releases because downstream recreation isn't a project purpose. And as early as, as 1980, when they had opposed uh, recreation, I had said, well, we need to make recreation project purpose. When I got involved with uh, the Gali, we had the opportunity for reliable releases primarily in the fall when the Corps would draw down that project to winter pool. It's possible we could have gotten some summer releases, but there was too much political opposition from the lake users for that. So a key factor was working out reliable releases because without those, outfitters couldn't take reservations. And so we had to have a schedule. The good thing about the dams is, you know, if you've got water, you can schedule releases. And so that helped uh, establish reliable releases so people could travel from great distances and be assured they would have a recreation opportunity when they got there. So there, there's this, this idea of releasing water and when to release it and how that relates to seasons of boating and trying to make the best of, of all these options for flood control, for lake boating, for this idea of river rec- recreation. Uh, then this extra pressure comes that there's an additional project that's going to be built. Tell me about the additional project that's going to happen on the Gali. Yeah, the Corps had proposed what's called a long tunnel diversion project where they were going to uh, drill a tunnel through the sandstone to divert water around the upper three miles of the Gali and put a powerhouse at Pillow Rock, which would have been you know awful. <laughs> There was tremendous hydrostatic head because they were going to actually have to raise the level of the lake by 16 feet, even for the long tunnel option. Mm. But they could have done that and put turbines at the dam and still generated power, Mm -hmm. which is what's happening today uh, with that FERC license project. Mm -hmm. So if they were to have built this tunnel from the bottom of the Summersville Dam, which is today still the existing dam, and sent that water through the tunnel, it would have come out at Pillow Rock, and that would have dewatered the river from the dam to Pillow Rock. And then that would mean that several rapids that are so fun and important to the river runners today would be much, with, they, would, they would have much less water. And that would be things like insignificant Iron Curtain, yeah, Pillow Rock. Right. Would have all been gone. Okay there would have been a focus primarily on hydro production. Mm-hmm. And so you, the releases would not have been as reliable. Mm-hmm. Or they would have been, at times, that were primarily for peak power production, which is what occurs on a lot of core projects now. Right. 
you know, I think just wrapping my head around this idea of all these dams and all these release schedules and the need for power and all these different layers, it just becomes, it becomes, it's, it's, uh, it's complicated. It's just very complex. And fortunately, on the Golly, we had a, a great uh, expert, Steve Taylor, who was a scientist who did a lot of the hydrology work. And he was able to get his hands on data that, you know, we had no ability to access. He actually was a contractor for NASA. And so he was able to get all the release history for the Corps of Engineers somehow. Now, this this is the era before the Internet. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's kind of like the Stone Age <laughs> for, for accessing data like that from the federal government. Yeah. And, but he was able to get it, and, and he showed that the Corps of Engineers had done the operations that we were requesting they authorized for whitewater recreation. They had done them in the past as part of their project operations, so it was very feasible to provide the releases for the fall drawdown. Because essentially, if he's able to show with that data that the water's already coming out, you just want them to rearrange their scheduling of it. Well, what happened is the Corps every year would come to the outfitters in August and say, okay, this is how much water we've got left, and these are the days you're going to get releases. So they were having to take provisional reservations <laughs> in hopes that the water would be available because the project was primarily used for in dry years they had to flush out the Kanawha in Charleston because of the pollution and make to maintain water quality so they had to release water from the Summersville Dam uh, to improve water quality in the Kanawha and they did that in the summer there would be less water at Summersville Dam to use for the fall drawdown which is what we needed to access for whitewater recreation and so what we had to do was manage the water so that we could improve the reliability of releases. For example, when the Corps did the fall drawdown, they just turned the water on, let it run night and day until they got down to winter pool. We said, no, 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 uh, turn it off at night. Oh, we can't do that. <laughs> so, so that's why we got legislation to establish whitewater recreation as a project purpose of Summersville Dam and then scheduled the releases, mandated the releases for 21 days a year. So you get it, it it's federal legislation? Yes. So that so you're saying that you asked them to just go ahead and change their schedule and they said no. So then you come back and, and you get the legislation to happen, but that's not an easy task. That how do you go about getting how do you go about getting the legislation and who gets involved in supporting that? Well, the key player in that was um, Congressman Nick Rahal from West Virginia and his staffer, Jim Zoya, who were uh, great advocates for the river and for whitewater recreation. They were the primary sponsors of the legislation. But we also actually had gone all the way to um, a meeting with the Assistant Secretary of Army for Civil Works, who was in charge of the Corps. And we did that in 84 with the help of Jennings Randolph, Senator Jennings Randolph from West Virginia. And we, we made the proposal to the Corps then using Steve Taylor's data and uh, flow regimen to request that they do it administratively. 
And so at the same time, uh, Congressman Rahal uh, put a provision in the appropriations bill for FY 85, 84, 85. Fiscal year. Yeah. That uh, basically authorized the Corps to provide the releases. So it was kind of a push-pull, you know, both political and direct negotiation effort. But again, we were negotiating from a position of power because we had the political support. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was interesting that year that I was sitting in my office in Oak Hill, West Virginia, and the primary planner for the Corps, who had been, you know, working, proposing for the long tunnel, called me up and said, David, I got this environmental impact statement for providing releases for sport downstream recreation on the on the golly. And they had basically pulled the plug on the long tunnel and were proposing to provide the releases for 21 days a year. And was that a surprise to you that he called? No, it was. It was a surprise. Yeah. yeah. It, was very, it was very surprising. It was kind of like he was told he had to do this. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it I was mean, clear that uh, they were not going to get support for the power project, which they had come to that conclusion. And then with uh, Congressman Rahal pushing legislation, which, you know, they absolutely did not want to have anybody messing around with their project authorizations uh, like that and installing an entirely new uh, recreational project purpose uh, so that, yeah, they were trying to get it done administratively. So you just told me that story in, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, and it's told in the book, and we'll say half the book, which is about 50 pages. But how long did that work take? Well, if you really go back to the seeds were planted in the Okoe effort, Mm -hmm. you know, and the Mm -hmm. idea to make whitewater recreation a project purpose and understanding that and taking it to the golly. The reason the campaign on the golly was done so successfully in such a short period is we had tremendous political support and we had a great brain trust of uh, private boaters and outfitters that were contributing intellectual capital to the effort as well as money. And that combination enabled the Gali effort to be done more quickly than, say, the Okoe effort. Today's episode is sponsored by the Denver area Nissan dealers. Right now I'm driving my Nissan Frontier long bed four-door truck with a camper shell. We're on a 6% grade climbing uphill. Three dudes in the truck, bed full of gear, pulling a trailer with three boats stacked, all the gear. And we are just climbing. This Frontier has a nine-speed transmission. Super smooth, uphill shifting, real steady climbing. Roads are slick, truck's holding great. It's just really comfortable, safe, strong boating truck. You can find your Denver area Nissan dealers online at www.nissanusa.com. Our sponsor today is over at Raft Covers. This Raft Cover is built with a heavy-duty woven poly fabric that is UV-stabilized and blocks 98% of UV light. This cover is breathable and does not flap around in the wind. It is water-permeable, so rain and snow does not puddle up on top of it, and it self-heals. If you poke a hole in it, the woven fabric can be massaged back to whole. I use this over at Raft Cover on my boats on my trailer right now, and I am so glad to have this product. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS for free shipping on your over at Raft cover. That is RIVERRADIUS, one word, lowercase. 
Use the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree to get right to over at Raft Covers. I, I'm just sitting here thinking about it. So again, I'm you know I'm new to the southeast and to Appalachia and to these rivers and this boating here. Two of the rivers that I think I have heard about more and more excitement around are the Okoe and the Gali. Those two, the Okoe and the Gali, are just these these pillars of joy for folks in this region. And I and I just am sitting here thinking, did, you know, when you did this work, did you know what you were creating? I guess the question is, was it a pursuit of creating something or or protecting or was it some other is there some other categorical definition you would use to define what you were doing in that time? It was driven by a labor of love for both rivers. Yeah. Uh I mean, I really enjoyed paddling them so much. I paddled the Okoe probably close to 300 times. So and then I love the Gali too for it's both the caliber of the white water and it's the most beautiful river in the east in my mind in terms of you know availability so those were the things that part of what really drove it so you said that the first golly fest i think you said it would came about while you're doing the work to establish those releases yeah 83 why why did you put together that golly fest well i'd done it on the okoe and it you know, it was what you said, I think, early on, is that people need to be involved, and it needs to be fun. Uh, so one way to attract their participation was to have a festival where it's fun, play bluegrass music and have beer and, you know, exhibits. And, you know, the fun part of it that allowed us to collect and focus uh, energies, uh, you know, to, to have an idea that, hey, there is a collection of people uh, that we have convened and at a festival uh, and the, the size of the crowd and the enthusiasm helped to propel their interest to, to support. And it was a way to contribute financially to, to, you know, to the effort, but have fun doing it. And today, Golly Fest is still going on. Have you been? Do you know when the last Golly Fest you attended was? Oh, it's probably been twenty, twenty-five years okay. ago. And yeah. and what are your thoughts on the first time I really started to hear about the Golly? I was talking to friends who have been year-round river guides, and they would come to West Virginia for the releases, and they would commercial guide on the Golly, uh, doing you know river guiding on the on the rafts. And I'm curious what you think about that. You know, the significance of the golly season, I was just there, and I told you earlier, but there were hundreds of cars on one of the days. And I would think with hundreds of cars and a few thousand people there boating the river in a day. Do you have any understanding around what those people know about the history of preserving those releases that you were a part of? And not, you know, not obviously you alone, but that you definitely were, you were at the front of with it, with a bunch of your peers. Today's river guides, I'm not sure, understand the story. There are few who are interested. Certainly back in that era, the river guides were critical because we asked them to tell the story about threats to the river to their customers. And then we had letter-writing stations set up in the outfitter's headquarters, and I would go around at the end of the weekend and pick up the letters they had handwritten. (laughs) In fact, one day I've been sitting in my office on the Okoe, and I get this call from guy from TVA, why are we getting letters from Rhode Island? 
<laughs> he was laughing. Anyway, so that was such a critical element. But I think it's an example, though, of, of the role, potential role, that river guides can play. Number one is with their customers, because every experience they provide to the general public enables and enhances the ability to preserve these rivers. Because people who maybe didn't have a, a you know, understanding of, of the recreational benefits of the rivers or their beauty come to the river who, you know, they don't have the skills to do it themselves. They go down with an outfitter. Uh, many of them develop an appreciation and understanding so that when there is a challenge to the river for power or whatever you, other use, extraction now, taking water out of the riverbed's a big thing, or out of the river for water supply, they'll support it, whereas they would not had they not had that experience. But it's really critical for the guides to nurture those customers and not necessarily preach but to make sure they have an enjoyable experience. And most guides are really great. They have wonderful personalities. That is part of the, of the attraction because they're uh, not your, you know, your typical nine-to-five worker. They have experiences all over the world and stories to tell that entertain the customers and great jokes. It's that entertainment yes. that is so critical. Yes. It's part of the experience as well as their enjoyment of the river and the rapids. And to nurture that, that's why river guides are so critical to the conservation of these rivers. The other thing I think is important to look at in these numbers of people at these at these golly fest, at these golly releases, are that there's a bunch of folks who are not also river guiding. How does that person stay in in the loop, stay relevant to taking care of river access and river releases and river protections? Well, most of those people, if they're enthusiasts, um, intersect with these issues through American Whitewater or clubs, for example. Uh, they were they were very prominent back in the 70s and 80s in both organizations Citizens for Golly River and the Okoye River Council were about half outfitters and half private boaters. So they were involved, and we shared information with all the clubs who promoted the effort. So that's one of the channels through the clubs. And clubs uh, are really good avenues for people to participate because they have people to go with, number one. It's a social reinforcement, uh, but they also learn a lot and then they get involved in these issues. The battles in the East had to come from campaigns for grassroots local organizations. And this was before American Whitewater had the footprint and effectiveness. It, it was there, but it was not really the professional organization that it is now. So after the Gali battle, they eventually took over the Gali River Festival. After I left in, in 85, it, American Whitewater took it over, and that was the beginning of their emergence as a powerful advocate for uh, whitewater recreation. We will come back to this conversation with David Brown at the end of this episode. Here, we transition to the 39th Gali Fest that happened last year in 2022. The River Radius, that would be me, 
had a booth set up at the Golly Fest, and when the fest was first getting going, I spent some time with Natalie Price, who was the festival organizer for American Whitewater. American Whitewater took over the Golly Fest after David Brown was successful with the Golly work and had moved on in the 1980s, and today that festival still celebrates the success from David's work at the Golly. I wanted to learn a bit more about the modern festival, so I hopped in a golf cart with Natalie as she did rounds at the festival. Um, am I going to fall out? No, I've got a bar. Oh, you're pretty good. So let's wave at Dylan. Okay, here we go. Yeah, rage it. All right. Yeah, here we go. We're, uh... <laughs> this, is, uh, this is the tour of Golly Fest in the, uh... can you hear it, feel it, in the golf cart. Can you tell me your name? Natalie Price. And, uh, and, and what do you, what, who do you work for? What are you doing? Yeah, so I work for American Whitewater, uh, helping run Golly Fest. Uh, this is my 11th year and our 39th Golly Fest. So 39 years, how many people are here this year and how does that compare to previous years? Yeah, so we had about 300 people show up yesterday, which would definitely rank up there as a record breaker. Most everybody rolls in off of the river on Friday and kind of shows up uh, right before dinner. However, this year, uh, between the weather and our three-year hiatus, um, are all rolling in early. And so I have no doubt that, uh, yeah, it's going to be the biggest one yet. Describe the festival. Tell us, like, what, what are the booths all about and who are the people that are coming and what is the engagement between the people, the river, and the booths? So I always describe Golly Fest as uh, Burning Man meets Olympic Village. And uh, we have a pretty eclectic mix of uh, longtime members who have been supporting American Whitewater for longer than I've been around here. And uh, we have a, a rowdy crowd of young kayakers, amazing partners, supporters, and vendors who've been with us for as long as they've been around. And then, yeah, a lot of locals. But, you know, essentially at the end of the day, we see visitors from all 50 states and I believe 13 countries this year from what I've gotten via email. Do you, do you, uh, do you like this job? I do. I do. It's, it's a, you know, it's an amazing cause. I get to see a lot of amazing people from the region and across the country that really just come out once a year for, yeah, our biggest fundraiser and I'd say the biggest whitewater party in the, in the in the world what's the like what's the purpose it's obviously a party it's a bunch of fun days on the water there's releases going on but what's the purpose of this of this golly fest yeah so golly fest is aw's largest fundraiser and membership drive of the year and i you know it's constantly the the misconception that it's all about the music and uh the party in the releases, but really it's celebrating one of our successful projects with Golly Season and really just trying to get the good word out of what American Whitewater is doing all across the country. So what's the, uh, what's the vibe here? Like, what's the vibe of the people hanging out? Just kind of their vibe for the weekend. We definitely have, like, the, the old school boating type that uh, will tell you stories of how it used to be prior um, to the, the kind of current vibe of Gully Fest. Um, you know, we had it uh, previously at a couple different other locations before it started really to grow. And so, um, yeah, there's old school, new school, definitely along the lines of uh, running creeks, dropping waterfalls, kind of on the, uh, the newer side of boat innovation and so forth. And then we also have, yeah, a lot of locals, 
that kind of come together for this event, people that may be newer to Whitewater. There's a volunteer scene of people who uh, definitely generously help out in like the socialness of the different volunteer elements here at Gully Fest. We've got the vendors, which I think is pretty, pretty neat. And then, yeah, a lot more families than we used to have, which is also really great. You know, we've tried to implement kind of a quieter camping area for them. As we know, um, their kids are kind of the future paddlers that are going to be here volunteering, paddling, and um, potentially becoming vendors later on. Definitely a very diverse mix. Do you, do you think the people that are here at the festival know the deep history of the preservation of the Gali? I think there's a, a large chunk that do, but unfortunately there's probably an equal amount that don't. Where, where's the line? Is this more river fest or more party fest? Or is it just like the perfect blend? I would like to say it's like the perfect mix. I guess if I had to use an analogy to uh, describe it, it'd be like not vanilla, not chocolate, but like swirl. That sounds like a good place to end it. You got anything else you want to tell me? No, no. Sorry I got distracted there. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for your time. Yeah. Let's see you. Today's episode is sponsored by Over It Raft Covers. Right now, my boats are inflated sitting on a trailer, and they are covered with a raft cover from Over It Raft Covers. This is my first season using this cover, and it is so much better than the ridiculous plastic tarps I used and destroyed for years. This Over It Raft cover is perfectly shaped for my boat, it has slots for the oar towers, and it has solid D-rings sewn on to secure this to the trailer or to a raft. These covers are designed and sold by Kevin, a river runner who likes to keep his boat well protected and ready to go on the trailer. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS for free shipping on your Over It Raft cover. That is RIVERRADIUS, one word, lowercase. Use the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree to get right to Over It Raft covers. Hey folks, this is Sam. Right now I'm driving a 2023 Nissan Rogue up a river canyon. Here we go, we're going to do some passing. This car is really strong and smooth with its transmission. It feels very powerful, very safe, and very steady. Easy to drive, handles great. There's a small footprint in the lane, and yet it really feels like a big car. It's got big windows. I was driving it yesterday with four big guys. It handled the load great. It handled the space of us really well. This is the kind of car you can put your boats on the roof. You can load the back hatch with lots of river gear. The other thing I've noticed about this car is that it has an incredible turning radius. You can find your Denver area Nissan dealers online at www.nissanusa.com. The love for waters of the Gali go on and on. After the weekend of Gali Fest fades out and folks move on to whatever is next in their lives, there is a humble race on the Gali on the Monday after the festival, the Animal Upper Gali Race. It runs that same Upper Gali stretch. I cruised back out to the river on that Monday to check out the race and spend another day getting to know this river culture. Can you tell me your name? It's Travis Cobb. And t- tell me this race. What's the name of this race? So it's the Animal Upper Gully Race. And that's animal, like like RAR, not annual. Yep, correct. Animal. Okay, Animal, animal. Upper Gully Race. And and is this? I mean, this is just like private fun, total beer league. Yeah. Yeah, okay. we're not we're not associated with any other competition. There's no points. It's for fun and pride of being fast and athletic. Really this race is won and lost in the flatwater pools 
which is kind of why it's the animal. There's so much flat water in between rapids. So you're, you just called it Beer League. I looked at your website last night, and it said there's like Olympic athletes and all these other like really oh, high-grade yeah. athletes. We, we get really competitive folks. When I say Beer League, what I mean is that it's very grassroots. So one of the reasons we do the race on a Monday is most of our competitors are local raft guides and river professionals. Their busy days are Saturday and Sunday. If we held the race on a Saturday, no one would be able to participate. It's like a river, it's a river person's holiday. You got it. Yeah. Yep. You're on that wavelength. For yeah. sure. I like those days. Describe this, you know, this is audio. Describe this scene. Uh, so we're here at the, uh, the base of Gad Dam, the headwaters of the Gali River. It's a gravel parking lot with maybe, what do you say, about 500 people standing around? Yeah, um, at least. At least. There's uh, probably, we're going to say 50 rafts, maybe uh, 20 or so big kayak stacks everywhere. Everyone's elbow to elbow. There's not a lot of space, but it's good cheer. Everyone's getting along. And the prizes, much like a rodeo, are um, cast aluminum belt buckles that have kind of river iconography. We've got one that looks like the output water of the dam jetting out. We've got another one that looks like Pillow Rock Rapid. You make those yourself. Yeah, we do, we yeah. do, it's fun. I was checking them out, they are, they, oh my, they are so nice. Yeah, well, they're, they're made out of broken carabiners nice. and old beer cans, <laughs> you know, whatever we can throw into the smell. Yeah, here. right, 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 that's good. And every year they're different, yeah. so sometimes they look good, sometimes they look like old trash, but yeah, I think mostly it's the the pride of winning. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the race, the start, the finish, the length. Yeah, so our fastest competitors get there in just under an hour. Here at the dam, the most downstream put-in has a cable car that runs across the river, and that's just a good natural starting point. There's a big flatwater pool above it, and we do a mass start race, which is fun because, you know, rubbing is racing when you've got a hundred different craft we do some volunteer safety on the river at the big rapids. Yeah. That way we've got someone there looking out for them. Actually, we're watching the park rangers yeah. cataract go by right now. It's a sweet um, boat. And they'll probably have another guy in a kayak. The park service always really is supportive of the event. They try to go out of our way to give us a good space. And um, they actually typically will wait to go on patrol until the last racer goes through. And so they sort of unofficially sweep the race for yeah, us, right. which is always really nice, you yeah. know, knowing that they're out there. All right, that's good. Travis, thank you. Yeah. The Animal Upper Golly Race is 29 years old. Travis introduced me to Donnie Hudspeth, who founded that race. Sam, this is Donnie Hudspeth. We inherited the race from Donnie. He, uh, <laughs> he's, he's the OG. OG Donnie. Oh. The race wouldn't exist if it weren't for Donnie. I started and the race in 93 because I wanted to race. Yeah. Yep. Like, like, what do you mean you wanted to race? Like, you were that kind of boater, like, you just always wanted to go fast? Um, competitive? I, actually, I just had done the Upper Yacht Race, which is up in Frenchville, Maryland. It was kind of a extreme kayak race, class 4-5, and it was super fun. And I found out that, I, I yeah, so. I did like going fast and paddling the golly that summer with a friend of mine who had also done the upper yacht race and said, you know, somebody should have a race here. And I lived here. And so one month later, we had the race. And that was 93? 93. Are you racing today? 
No, I thought about it, but I would like at least one training run. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So you started it because you wanted to race. I'm assuming you had been boating in this area for a long time when you started. Is that right? I had, yep. I first paddled the Golly in 78, actually, and it was a completely different environment than this. Outfitters had just started to commercially do the river. The parking lot would be empty. You know, there'd be a couple kayaker cars, and that was it. And loved the river, so then it became an annual tradition to come here for a week in the fall when they were releasing water. And then I decided I should move here, so I moved here in 86 and worked for an outfitter and ran a kayak school and managed their um, reservation system. And kayak, man. I kayak like 180, 200 days a year. We kayak the golly all summer at all levels. Super fun. Do you feel like the race is like carrying on the vibe you were you were pitching out at that, that first race, those first few years? I do. I, I do. It, it's changed over the years. You know, obviously the whole boating scene changed. You know, I think now there may be more raft teams, which is great. Um, when I first started the race, there were a bunch of wild water fiberglass high-end racers. That's a kayak? It's a kayak. Yeah. And they're made for downriver racing. It's a specific boat design. And we had, one year, there were four past Olympic paddlers in the race that were racing. Past Olympics. So they'd come out of the Olympics, kind of shut down that scene, and were right. here to have fun, keep being competitive. They were still, they were still kayaking and wanted to race. You know, and this was like a low-key, Yeah. you know, it's not serious, it's for fun. But it is kind of serious. Right. As serious as you make it, really. Right. And there's a lot of boaters that are here that are not Olympic boaters, but are maybe as good. Yes. Yeah. That whole scene has changed. There's a lot more really good boaters now. Yeah. I think than there were then. Yeah. Is there anything else you feel like I sh you should tell me? Welcome to West Virginia. Thank Welcome you. to the golly season. Thank you. Yeah, it's a special time of year, man. It is. There's nothing like it. You can feel the energy and the race day. It's pretty. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I'm glad the race continues. 29 years. Tell me your name one more time. Donnie Hudspeth. Donnie. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah, you bet. There is one last voice at the animal race. As always, the hardest to track down and get a mic going with is the person who is quietly the key to keeping the race going. At the last minute of the day, I had a few minutes with Katie Cobb. Katie Cobb. Tell me, tell me what's going on here. We are uh, hosting the after party for the Animal Upper Gully Whitewater Race, uh, which happens every year in September. What's your role in the whole game? Uh, I do the paperwork mostly, and then I set safety. I help to organize it, try to get sponsors, um, get some cool prizes for the racers, which is, you know, that's that's something that makes me really happy is to be able to get people cool stuff for participating. So, yeah. Why, why does the race matter to you? Because I love the Gali River. It is a spectacular stretch of white water and just seeing people have fun going down it as fast as they can. T tell me about the river, the, the water, the white water. If you were going to design a, a white water roller coaster, you couldn't do better than the upper Gali River. Each of the big five rapids is, is totally unique, different from each other and anything else I've done anywhere else in the world. So I, I love those rapids. Can't, can't get a rapid better than Lost Paddle for my book. 
Katie, thank you for your time. Thank you. A note about the race. After a decade of organizing the race, Katie and Travis have stepped down from that lead position. Beginning this year, Ace will lead the race. Ace Adventure Resort is one of the commercial river outfitters on the Gauley and other regional rivers. In addition to the audio that you have heard in this episode, I have hours of short, fun interviews with so many people who were at the festival, folks on the river and on the rocks, people at the race, at the ramps, so many conversations with super kind and passionate river runners, audio of me passing out a few thousand River Radius stickers. Here are some of the voices from the Gali. Hi. Hi. Can I, can I ask you questions? Sure, I might not know the answers. Why are you wearing that suit? Because it's cold out. That's the only reason. <laughs> that and my dry clothes are in the shuttle car. Tell me what you're wearing. I'm wearing a unicorn onesie. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. With a hood. With a hood. Yeah. And wings and a tail yep. and a horn and everything. And purple hair. And purple hair, yeah. yes. Okay, and then what? You're going you're gonna to run the river? Yes. Yep. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What's your name? Mar. What's yep. your name? Maya. Have a great day. <laughs> Have a great day. See you. What's your name? John Bonham. And John, where where are we? We're at Sweets Falls on the Upper Gauley River in southern West Virginia. Tell me about the rapid. Uh, 14 foot semi-vertical waterfall with very little room for error. You either go left, hit ejector rock, or into a giant recirculating hole on the right. Stakes are high, and you got a box canyon, little slot, bunch of rocks, bunch of flips, bunch of rafts. Big rock in the middle, and a party going on top, postage due. How many people up on that, that rock? Uh, I'd say there's at least 50 up there right now. 50 people? How many boats over there? Uh, there's at least 15 boats right now, but we're at the end of the day. We're, we're at the tail end of everything. Now, this is actually not even too packed right now. How often do you come out here and boat? Uh, I live on the Gauley River. I'm fortunate enough to got a little spot down at uh, Woods Ferry. So we try to get out here a couple times a week. Most people don't know that uh, the Gauley runs year-round. We just get these fall releases, low water, high water. Uh, the Gauley is always class five and always fun. You grew up here? Yeah. 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 What's the vibe about river life here? Uh, it's everything. Uh, you know, I've gone out west. I've boated out there. Loved it, but uh, there's always something about Southern Bowden, especially West Virginia Bowden, especially in the Fayetteville area. Uh, you know, it's it's like a whitewater mecca, man. Everybody comes, makes their, their travel in the fall. Everybody I love, all in one place for six weeks out of the year. It doesn't get better. It doesn't. Thank you. Absolutely. Good morning. Can I give you all stickers? Stickers, I host and produce the River Radius podcast. What's up, man? Good morning, how are you? Good, how you doing? I'm better than I deserve to be. Can I put you on the microphone? Sure. I'm Sam. Hi, Sam, I'm Johnny Law. So what's going on today? What are you doing? I've been down here for 15 years straight, and I'm (laughs) R2-ing with a girl from Kentucky, and her husband is kayaking with us, and then we'll run into the rest of the the circus, you know? And so why come this weekend when there's like, I mean, there's a few hundred cars here. Why come this weekend? Why not come on a day that's less less populated? I don't come for the weekend. I come for the month. I just stay the whole month up here. Wow. Yeah. And just boat, do laps. Yeah, I do, you know, do yacht, but the yacht's down. So but we've been on the new this week and yeah. stuff like that. But 
I'm retired, so I think a lot of people, um, this is a sport, a hobby, but beyond that, it's a lifestyle. For me, it's a lifestyle just because I've done this for so long and what's so special about this place, it's like family reunion and you get to see people that you might see them once a year. And there's just such a good network of people. It's like if you show up, people will show you how to get down the river. People will like embrace you and it's, it's there's nothing competitive about what we're doing, you know. It's, it's all of our good fortune to come here and be here yeah. in this beautiful place. Good morning. So, what's up, are you the guide? Yeah, I am the guide. I'm gonna go whitewater boat riding, I think there's gonna be a lot of people out there. Mm-hmm. That's the plan. Yeah. Hit and some waves, miss some rocks. Is this what you do all summer? Yeah, I, I work in Idaho all summer. Come oh, yeah. out here just for the golly season. Travel around, going boating, kind of like a, a water farmer, you know, chasing water everywhere I go. The the word I hear is that it's, that it's, it's big time, big water. It is big time. Yeah. Little nervous shakes up here a little bit. Once we hit the water, it'll be good though. Um, it's a, it's pretty intense out there. Um, it's definitely a big deal. I like it when people take it seriously, so we can go crush, crush all the big shit, and uh, you know, be safe out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a little sketchy, <laughs> but really fun. Hey, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Have thanks. a great day. You too. What's your name? Justin Gill. What are you doing today? Boat in the Golly, R2. R2. Yeah. How many times have you gone down in the past, this, this season? Uh, this will be the first lap this season. Okay. Thanks, man. Thanks. Can see the water there. Good morning. Good morning. Can I give you a sticker? Sure. River Radius Podcast, I host and produce it. Hey. Anywhere you listen, you hey. can find it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, tell me your name and tell, tell me where we are. Uh, I'm Conrad Niffen, and we're at the Burrito Bar right now, just after finishing the animal race on the Golly. And, and you, you won a category. Tell me about your category. Yeah, so I won the R1 division, so that's just one person in a raft, paddling as hard as you can. So there's this guy, Aaron, here, who is awesome, and yeah, him and I, you know, we're, we're buddies, and we were battling it out at the, right at the top. Before Insignificant, there was a bunch of boogie water, kind of flat water paddle-offs, and yeah, it was really fun. It was a good race. My name is Anna Chiquitipomtastic Sierra. Tell me about, tell me where we are this evening. We are at the after party for the animal race the ceremony for the people that won fastest and uh, in their division category won prizes you got an award today in the race i got second place in uh short boats i was in a wave sport ace and um i had a wild ride tell me your name noah curtis and Noah, how old are you? Thirteen. What'd you What'd you do today? I ran the upper gully. Yesterday I ran the lower new. What's up? Like you like boating? Like yeah, yeah, I love it. It's amazing. I loved it first time I went on. I guided on the Shenandoah. Anything else you would like to say? Um, just everybody be safe. Yeah, right Stay on. safe out there. Cool. Thanks for coming on the River Radius. Oh yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. As we bring this episode to a close. I have one last question for David Brown, the kayaker who in the 1980s led the effort to keep the golly wet and with a season of whitewater releases every fall. The question refers to David's work establishing recreational releases on the Ocoee River in Tennessee. His golly work came just after his Ocoee work. The sentiment of the question about the Ocoee extends to the work done on the golly. I want to play you something and ask you 
your thoughts on it. What I'm going to play for you is part of the podcast interview that you did with Dylan Pinnock. He has the podcast River Company Outfitters, My Favorite River. And Dylan is an awesome presence on Instagram and TikTok doing river content. You might know him. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and, and listeners know him. And he's become a friend. And actually, this question... This question that I'm going to play for you is why I first contacted Dylan because I was listening to his podcast and I just thought, what a powerful question. And it's not really a question. It's almost like a comment he does. So I'd like to play this and then ask you a question. And just for context, he, you guys have been talking about, he's kind of reflecting on your work with the Okoe and how you took the job that those guys offered you at the Cracker Barrel and how he's glad for it. Well, I'm super glad that you were in the... Uh right place at the right time because I after I read this I tried to picture what my you know my life would be like if the Okoye River was just a, a flume with a you know creek running through it and uh to be honest I have no I have no idea what uh you know my childhood and and family would would be like without that so um <laughs> I'm glad that you talked those guys in to paying you 150 bucks a week so so a little bit more background on Dylan I'm pretty sure that his favorite river is the Okoe, and he spends a lot of time on it. And we went paddling it the other day. He knew it perfect. And 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 not only that, that it's his favorite river, and he's young. So your work to preserve those releases allows him to go there. He goes there with his father, his mom, his sister. He has all these great stories to tell about going there. And he has now created a business and a lifestyle that is accessing rivers and that is really having joy with rivers. And so at that personal level for one person to say that to you, that your work creates a lifestyle of joy for them. You know, we're sitting here on your porch. You said you're in your seventies. You got your grandson that came over this morning, just all these layers of life and reflection. What is that? What is that for you? What is that hearing someone say something like that for you do? Well, it makes me humble, actually, because there were others who, you know, participated and contributed to the effort as well. So I can't really take full credit for it. But, you know, I was just in the right place at the right time. Uh, and so a lot of luck involved and, of course, contributions by many other people that really uh, made it a success. Uh, but there are stories like that. And I think it's important because... Uh, you know, the, sometimes the local people don't like, quote, rafters and paddlers. And there are stories like that of people who grew up in Polk County. Polk County's Elkoe. The locals were pretty hostile when we first moved in there, as I describe in the book. I mean, there's some funny stories in the book about it. But there's people who kind of found a home working for an outfitter and who probably would have, you know, whose parents were in jail even, and who, you know, found a home with working for an outfitter, learned discipline, work ethic, and and then went into the military. So there are many, many stories like that, couples who met working together on the Okoe and families, uh, and many of us that it was greatest time, one of the greatest times of my life. I mean, you know, paddling every day. And so it was a very, it was just an incredible time to be in the paddling community, in the paddling world, and uh, to be doing this effort because it, I had nothing to lose. I had basically no possessions. <laughs> so I had, actually, when before I got there, I had a house, car, and, you know, 
everything, but I, I cashed it all in to, you know, to, to get into the river business and river recreation. And I thought the cause itself was enough justification for me to, to make those sacrifices. As I have been building this episode, I have had some email exchange with David Brown, and he wanted to make sure that the other people involved that weren't mentioned in this episode are credited for their strong contributions to the Gali effort. David said this, quote, There are also some other prominent players that deserve mention among the outfitters, David Arnold and John Dragan, and among private voters, Charlie Walbridge, Pope Barrow, and Steve Taylor. End quote. All right. Well, that's my that's my stuff. David, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and appreciate all the good work you're doing. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, yeah, thank you. I just, this is just great to sit on your porch and talk about talk It's about great cool history. Rivers. It's, uh, you know, just the whole history of uh, whitewater recreation and its emergence in the 70s and early 80s is, is interesting history. Yeah, very much so. All right. Well, I'm going to press stop. All right. Great. Here we go. A pillow rock size thank you goes out to all of the guests in today's episode, to all of the folks who helped me organize my journey through everything about the golly, to the folks who got me down the river and took care of me when I swam, and to all of the sweet people I spent time with in the golly river basin of southern West Virginia. Today's sponsors are Over at Raft Covers and the Denver area Nissan dealers. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS. That's one word, River Radius, to gain free shipping with Over at Raft Covers. There are links for Nissan and Over at Raft Covers in the show notes. In today's show notes, you can find links to the book by David Brown, to the Golly Fest, to the Animal Upper Golly Race, and to lots of other information. Our social media manager here at the River Radius is Samantha Sice. Our music is composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining the River Radius. Welcome to West Virginia. We have like a hillbilly hot tub down there. We said, no, no, no. I ain't lying, I'm just telling you a story. Man, you gotta talk to some of these, uh, find an older, any older dude down here that looks like scraggly. They'll give you the full history of uh, the Golly Dam, it's really cool. Are those the hillbilly hot tub guys? Yeah. Okay. That's why river guides are so critical to conservation of these rivers. It's like summer camp for raft guides. <laughs> for the record, I am Canadian. I don't come for the weekend. I come for the month. I proposed to her at the Tiki Garden restaurant uh, in Beckley after a couple of suffering bastards. Yeah, this is what I woke up in, so like, this is all we're on the river. Can't, can't get a rapid better than Lost Paddle for my book. It was driven by a labor of love. Golly River, West by God, Virginia, <laughs> the best place in the whole damn world. <laughs>